0: This episode is sponsored by Flatfile. Importing customer data into your product has traditionally been a time-consuming, painful process until now. With Flatfile's data onboarding platform, product teams can better enable customers to seamlessly import their data with one simple click. Your world-class product deserves a world-class data import experience. To learn about how Flatfile's platform can help you reduce customer frustration and instantly improve time to value, go to flatfile.com slash product-led-alliance. Hey, everyone, and welcome to For the Love of Product, brought to you by the Product-Led Alliance. I'll be your host, Tioma hansen Drury, Chief Product Officer at MENA Technologies and all around passionate product aficionado. Each episode, we'll be looking at the head and the heart behind product-led growth, the passion and the practice of product, and we'll be picking the brains of seasoned CPOs and heads of product, as well as visionary founders and investors getting their inside stories. Enjoy. really excited to have with me today, Deepak Param Anand. Uh, who is joining us with a ton of really interesting experience. So for those of you who haven't met Deepak, he brings over 17 years of international experience building, leading, and commercializing products. And he's worked a lot in one of the hottest spaces, which is in defining and direct AI strategy. Um, Any one of us who have worked on AI product strategy knows that it brings a whole new level to kind of the demands uh, and the complexities in today's environment. So he's going to share some of that with us he also is gonna share his experiences from having worked in three continents across six companies in six different domains in both B2B and B2C environments. So he's got a lot of knowledge to share with us. And uh, when I asked him what, is, what are his best work traits, he said that it's really about resiliency and tenacity. And he also thinks that his sense of humor is uh, his best non-work trait. And I can say uh, in getting to know Deepak, I would say that his sense of humor is wonderful. Deepak, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, quite excited to be here. Um, you are, you know, Tiama, in a short time, I've made uh, good friends with you. It feels amazing to call you a friend. You're also the product lead alliance. Uh, I like Heather. I love working with her. So, you know, this feels like I'm talking to a friend and, and not at all like an interview. So thank you for having me.
0: <laughs> well, that's the name of the game here. We really just try to bring people together who are passionate about their products and their experiences and talk in a safe, a safe space. So um, we're really happy to have you today. Um, to kick things off, uh, though, we're actually going to take a step back in time to a moment where maybe it didn't feel like such a safe space, right? When you and I were prepping for days, we were talking about what are the important things that we want to talk about. And, um, you jokingly said, you don't know if it's the pandemic or what, but you kind of were thinking, what would you want to pass on to the world before you die? <laughs> Tell me about, uh, one of those, those moments that, um, you felt like you were not in a safe space and let's let's go from there let's dive in
1: right so uh, i think the the i got the tier 1 exceptional talent visa here in the in the uk and this visa lets you be independent of your employer it accelerates your ability to settle down here in the uk get citizenship and gives you the independence to sort of uh, think through things on your own when i started to think about it it was simply an, an idea to be independent because i left india 2012 i've been on a work visa since so last 8 9 years you know just being tied to the employer and sort of being told what to do and getting along so when i decided to embark on that path uh, I, I just said you know independence and you know get done with it and move on so it's a very strenuous process the the criteria is very very hard if you look at the text they put out there Nobody short of Bill Gates or Albert Einstein should be able to get through. That's what it looks like. So it's very, very hard. Um, So for for all that, uh, quite a lot of work went to, you know, making making the application. Many, many people helped me. As they say, it takes a village to build a product. It takes a village to get the application right. So no different there. So I put the application. It was reviewed within a day. And they said, you know, you got the visa. So I was like, I took 98 days to put the application could you not please read it for two or three days just because a lot of people have helped me uh but you know grateful for that so when i got the visa i called up my boss and said you know michael michael fox i hope he's listening to this one said michael you know i got the visa he said well congratulations and i was like I-, I thought you'd be a little more excited than this He's like well you know, i knew you would get the visa so why did you tell me that when I was applying for it? And you made me all nervous because you have to be nervous to apply. You, have, you shouldn't feel overconfident. And they said, okay, uh, wiser words have not been said. And, but what he said afterwards was sort of one of the most profound things that uh, stuck, you know, struck me. I'm, I'm a chatterbox, I like to talk. But what he said uh, made me speechless. And what he said was, Deepa, congratulations. For the first time, you get to decide your destiny. I was like, it's not like I'm chained and I'm not, not like I'm a bonded laborer. You know, I have freedom, I have thoughts, I can, I can say, express myself. So, no, no, think about what's happened to you. Working with me, working with other companies and whatnot, you didn't have the opportunity to say no to anything. You didn't even feel like you had a voice in saying no. Having worked with you, I've, I've never heard you say no to anything. Everything I've said to you is a fantastic idea. Everything is amazing, and it just you know rocks and everything. For the first time, you now have the ability to have an option beyond yes and. I am not pausing for effect now. It is I think about it now and I realize he's absolutely right. For for after such a long time, I now have the ability to think independently, sit down and have a voice in the conversation to say. Maybe I don't want to work on this product maybe I don't agree with your point of view maybe your idea is not right and I want to have a different point of view I want to be in a situation when I want to debate the merits of something maybe I won't say no but having options beyond yes and was a uh, sort of a mind-blowing event for me in life. So yeah just arriving to that point of uh, to the point of conflict, uh, having resolved that conflict, having resolved that tricky situation and having your, your your favorite person tell you, you now have the ability to think on your own was an amazing feeling. So I'd say of the many things, this is the most recent in memory. Uh, it it sort of encapsulates all my journey is. And I'll tell you one thing, I call myself an AI product manager. None of it was by choice. Absolutely none of it was by choice. I did not even think I was doing AI. I was just Keeping my head above water, I was just delivering a product and making sure it ships. Looking back now, would I have done differently? I don't know. Many people say, you know, having a work visa, having a constraint, pushes you to uh, to your boundaries, pushes to your limits, and maybe uh, explores your ingenuity and your creativity. I think not having a sword on on top of my head would have helped. Not having everything be so binary would have helped. Not having everything so black and white would have helped. Uh, but yeah, the, you know, long story short, that was, the, that was the big moment for me to realize that I have options beyond yes and.
0: It's, um, it's something that people who have been, had their employment and their livelihood tied to a visa can really understand. But for those who are listening to us who maybe have never had that, talk to, uh, pretend you're sitting next to one of them um, having coffee. Explain what it, it means to impact. On someone's job, uh, at, at, at minimum, on you know their their ability to do their job as a product owner or product professional.
1: Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, uh, the, the the day I got the visa, the first thought in my head was after Michael said that I'll just resign, just because I could do it for no other good reason, just just because I had that option and I didn't have to leave the country immediately. I didn't do that I like the job I do it's a great team I have with me so yeah it, it was it was that you know uh, that option of zero to one and that explosion of you know I have I have an option I mean I have options beyond zero and I can do so much more that was what was um you know amazing to me but yes it 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 did limit options uh it's not a um, not a great place to be in. Um, you have to be cognizant of the political environment of what's going on around you. Who's the president? It, this happened in America, and you know, you know who was president that time. So there's a lot of stuff going on outside about who I am. What, you know, what my ethnicity, my gender, my color of the skin is. So a lot of that stuff was going on as well. And it was, I mean, I mean the visa itself is quite, quite tough. Especially as a family man with a child and, and a wife, it's much harder. But depending on the political climate, it could get even trickier. Um, But I said, you know, uh, all's well, that ends well, and uh, having independence is is better than not having independence. So I'd say, whomever you talk to uh, would say something like this, somewhere along these lines, and we will have a similar opinion.
0: Yes, I think the things that we've spoken about and I think most product professionals understand is that saying no, in product is just as important as saying yes. Some people might argue it's a more important. Were there, you know, you, you kind of hint at it, but do you feel like there's been points in your career where you've been unable to do what you think would have been best, right? Um, and maybe say no, or say no but, or no and a different, right, path forward that you, you couldn't do because you felt, uh, you felt encumbered by your visa and worried about, you know, saying no?
1: Yeah, I mean, just look at the job market, right? Just especially the visa I was on, tier two general, which means an employer has to sponsor you. So A, you have only limited to the employers who can sponsor your visa. So it's not like, even there are 100 jobs available, you really can't apply to those 100 jobs. You can only apply to 20 jobs. God forbid you have bad relationship with your manager and your boss and the environment around you, because then you are limited to those 20 jobs. As you know, you don't all get the 20 jobs. You know, you apply to 20, you get called interviews for 10 and then five people interview you. You like one person that they don't hire you and the other person likes you. So you're not choosing from a place of empowerment. You're choosing from a place of limited ability to negotiate anything. So right from the, you know, the opportunities you can apply to, the jobs you get, you know, once you get into the job, what you can say, what you cannot say, I think everything has been limiting. I can't think of binary, you know, negative experiences like this, but I would say just you know, just being able to uh, question anything along the way w- w- would have been hard, like, you know, why such a low salary or why such a low bonus? Could I negotiate a better you know, uh, joining package? Could I negotiate a you know, uh, joining bonus? Something like that, so as basic like that would be there. Um, you know, do I can I restrict travel? Or you know are there abilities to get trained? Can we not use spreadsheets and can we use software like this? those those it may seem minuti, but over a period of time they all add up. So I'd say I can't think of one negative situation like this, but I think it's a it's a it's a lot of inconveniences that when added to the cart uh, create a big problem. So I would say minor inconveniences along along the way would would have already contributed to that. But yeah, I mean, but I would say, you know, retrospect, uh, no place was, you know, as bad as hell, as I would say. They were all good places. I learned quite a bit. I contributed quite a bit. I had fun, but I would have liked to say no. I would have liked to say no. I would have liked to say, I don't like this. You know, we should do it some other way. I would have definitely liked to do that.
0: Right, right. Okay, um, so let's uh, let's celebrate the fact that you are now in a position where you can say no. Uh, tell us a little bit about what you're spending your time doing today. Uh, what's your focus? Uh, you know, what are you excited about? Give us give us the high level summary. Uh,
1: I mean, uh, touch wood. I'm touching my head here. I, I I have a dream job. I love what I'm doing. So the. Um, Without giving away too much, let's just say this. My job is to deploy AI in and around the train ecosystem. So just go figure out what are the challenges people face in um, getting into train, traveling by train, getting out of train, how can we help passengers, how can we help train operating companies, how can we help train manufacturers, the whole ecosystem around that. And then outside of train, when you and me travel by train, how can we make the train journey safer, for the passengers, for the uh, employees, how can we reduce network delays, ease congestion, get more trains running? The whole, the whole wheel. So this, uh, so usually in the past, if I if I contrast and compare, I had only one opportunity where I had to create a brand new product from scratch, which was you know NLP based. It was in the fintech space. At Microsoft, is mostly execution. I was given a one-line requirement saying, ship the Animoji competitor on Android. So I knew, sort of going in, I was looking for an emoji-like product. So sort it's of, sort of well defined. Of course, nuance is there, but this time around, completely brand new. You know, as blue ocean as it gets. And previously, I only talked to customers and prospects, people who knew what the product is and what they were doing. Now, through you know, because of the pandemic, all our outreach and talking to customers and prospects is through LinkedIn. So you get to see firsthand how hard it is for people to be in an environment they're alien to. People are, my customers and prospects are not used to Zoom and Teams and are not used to speaking English so eloquently and us taking notes and corroborating. So it's a a completely new experience. So how would I put this? My job now involves talking to customers and prospects, interviewing them them about their pain, formulating hypothesis to say, what's what's a need? What's a want? What's a delight? you know, what's an underserved need, what's an overserved need, you know, what is the value in solving it for you, what are the outcomes it facilitates for you, and then bringing it back to us to say, well, do we need to, do we want to solve the problem, do we need to solve the problem, how many problems we need to solve, while doing that, what money should we make, and what's what's repeatability, what's scalability, so it's all of that, um, so it's completely blue ocean, I've never done anything like this in such a big scale, in such a, such a big enterprise very exciting times we are a new team at hitachi you know like everybody is externally hired so it's like a brand new incubation brand new idea hitachi is floating around to sort of bring in external people to build new amazing products we're having a ball we have a great team we're having fun we're breaking new ground every day um very interesting journeys like some people in europe will say oh The whole infrastructure is predictive maintenance we know exactly what to do we have machine learning and whatnot 200 kilometers to the left or the right they'll say can you build me a mobile app to take notes while i'm on tracks do you do you guys know 200 kilometers to the left they are far ahead of you they don't so now the question is should we build a product for them clearly not because you won't scale but it's interesting to know and understand and appreciate the customer's context one has a hypothesis that the pandemic has made digital transformation a reality, doesn't look like that. business transformation has not touched every corner on the earth, has not transformed everybody's lives. People are still behaving differently. So it's very, very interesting to understand the customer's context, their pain, and then sit back and say, what problems are worth solving? So now you know these big cliches we read in books, viability, desirability, feasibility. I am at that intersection. So it's very exciting times. I get to use such words, I get to put Meaning to them, have, I get to derive context and build a product out of it. So yeah, uh, exciting times all around.
0: That's fantastic, and I'm excited for you just hearing about it. Um, so, have there been anything that's gone that um, gone in a way that surprised you as you've gone through this kind of product discovery, uh, right, and ideation for Blue Space? Anything that's been surprising? Yeah. You uh, so.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. So we were talking about, you know, how do you think digital transformation can uh, transform your day-to-day work? And one guy said, "I want bots to fix the problems as they happen." So he clearly directly went for an AI-first augmented intelligence capability that just fixes problems as they happen. And for for this gentleman, he's not a very young gentleman, I would say, 40, 50. He's been in this for quite a long time. But for him to come out and articulate this so clearly and so precisely took us off by guard a lot, because usually we get to hear people rambling on about, oh, I want digitization, I want digital reports, I want text translation, I want chatbots and whatnot. For him to hit the nail on the head so eloquently and to the point surprised us very much. So we were expecting everybody to say that. Now, other people are saying, oh, no, let's do big data analytics. Let's do reporting. Let's do phone calls. Let's do conference calls. So there's there's a whole spectrum of people having various different problems. I, I don't remember the book, but I think it was a book, I think, Crossing the Chasm. It talked about the early adopters to the, the laggards and how to cross the chasm. So, again, it was surprising that I could relate to that book in that moment to say, ha, huh, this guy could be an early adopter and crossing the chasm with this person would have been easy and then i can go get the laggards because then guess what i don't have to convince the other people he'll do it for me because he's the user he sits with them he talks the language day to day so again you you read a lot of things but for you to experience them in real time as things happen it's just an aha moment to say ah so he, he i mean he not that that person needed validation, but it's like, hmm, he speaks sense. So there are early adopters and laggards. He, <laughs> did, he didn't need my validation for it. But yeah, so yeah, maybe he was right. Maybe these things exist in the real world.
0: <laughs> Jeffrey Moore had something there, actually. <laughs> oh, Jeffrey
1: Moore. Yeah, sorry, I forget the name. Yeah, so yeah, Jeffrey Moore is a smart man. But again, he didn't need my validation for it. But it's good to, it's good to discover these things. And it, it's validates what's been written, it gives you confidence that you're in the right path of listening and ideating and form forming hypotheses to, to test and validate.
0: Absolutely. Well, and what I love about that, that, what you've just said, Deepak, is right. you've got 17 years of experience in this space. And so you're still having you know um, moments where you're learning and getting to do certain things within the product management and product development uh, ecosystem. Uh, for the first time, right? Uh, which is which is um, something that I think is important for our listeners to recognize, right? You don't get to the point where you're 17 years in and you've done everything and you have it all mastered, right?
1: Well, uh, I would like to say I sort of knew this all along, but that'd be wrong. I stumbled and fell and got up and ran and walked and crawled and ran and did it all wrong in getting to this point. And here's the, here's the bit there. When I was a developer for 11 years, the only thing I thought was, I am building an awesome product. How dare they not use it? I mean, come on. I sat there 11 hours, I coded this thing, I built a beautiful dashboard. Why don't they use it? How dare they just take a printout, sit in a meeting, doodle over it and then go home? Clearly they have no idea. They didn't talk to me, they should. they should do it more. So when I did the product world around, then I was like, my God, how wrong I was. I didn't do the first thing about finding out what the customer actually needed. How dare I think you know the, the, the bread is the next slice, better than the sliced bread. So I think it was a mindset shift. And I think in, in a product world, if you don't empathize with the customer, you're sort of failing the 0.0 requirement of being a product manager. So I think I've learned it the hard way but to me now especially during especially especially during customer sessions i force myself to think and have a beginner's mind because if i get that wrong good luck good luck getting along the journey and solving the problems and you know formulating hypothesis now that i've come out of all bad habits because i'm a developer i give out ideas to designers and to developers on how to do things i know they don't like it but you know one bad habit at a time One bad habit at a time. So I've overcome the bad habit of, uh, you know, uh, hypothesizing on behalf of the customer, listening to them. Slowly I'm overcoming, telling designers, here is my cool idea for a web (laughs) page. And telling designers, why can't this be a function? Why does it have to be a class? You know, why why do you have to instantiate the object in memory? Why can't we cache it? So uh, those habits still exist. But, you know, as I said, one bad habit at a time.
0: That's right. We can all improve and we can all improve slowly over time. Um, so I'm quite, I'm curious, you know, when I say product, you know, you have a, you know, a good part of your, of your background was as a developer. So what does product mean to you?
1: Lovely. So I'd say it's, 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 it's four C's the, the word C and it's C because customer starts with C. So everything that follows must must start with C, and it helps to give me a framework to think about it. So the four C's to me are customers' challenges. So those are two C's. Next is constraints, our constraints, you know, the company's constraints. And lastly, competitors. So how I like to frame product is how might we solve our customers' challenges, keeping in mind are constraints better than the competitors can better than the competitors can and to me this is important because you put the customer first obviously anybody would tell you that this is a this is the longest and biggest known cliche ever but yeah i, I mean I, I can write i can write poetries and books about how i got it wrong when i didn't think about the customer maybe most people can so definitely do that and challenges because needs and wants and delights are just too much. I think challenges are just easy. Uh, I don't think you can ask people to, you know, what would delight you? I think that's a hard question. I mean, if you ask the first guy who went on a horse carriage, what would delight you? Uh, a better smelling horse or a horse with longer hair and, you know, uh, a prettier horse, any anything like that. So I think delights are much harder to look at. Challenges, on the other hand, are a little more tangible. You could put metrics around it and look at it. Constraints. Constraints are great because depending on which kind of company you work for, constraints could be financial, could be technical, could be anything there. And then competition is important because it gets you an idea or a framework of what is being done today. Because if you look at, you know, know, I like a, a product management framework called jobs to be done, which is fantastic for what I do right now, especially in the manufacturing transportation space, because my customers need jobs to be done. So the question now becomes: how is the competition helping them achieve those jobs? What tasks are they getting them do it? Are there any still other are, you know, are there overserved needs, are there underserved needs? And can I go by it? So to me, this is how I formulate any product um, thinking in my head. I try to put it in this, into those four C's. Customer again means persona, buyer, seller, you know, who is the customer, what kind of habits they have, what do, you, what do they do? You know what are the challenges they face in what they're doing? What are our constraints? And you know what's a, what's the competition doing to solve it? So this is how I think about it. It gives me great framework to think about product. Again, I would like to say, I cooked it up all on myself on day one of the job as a product manager. No sir, I did not. I just it was a you know the school of hard knocks, which I'm a, which I am still going to and you know, hoping to graduate one day from. So yeah, it, it came along organically but I think it's a good good framework to start off.
0: Oh, I love it. I hope you graduate from that school of hard knocks too, my friend. Um, so when, if we, the next thing that we talk a lot about it, the PLA, right, is what being product-led is. So is product-led just focusing on the customer and those four C's, or is there a different definition uh, that you would give?
1: Yeah, so the, those four C's are a starting point, but to me, a product happens only if two things happen and they happen in that order. That is to be repeatable and scalable. Repeatable and scale. De- Look at you. Look at you saying again, I did not think of it, folks. Tiyama just showed me a, a, a nice picture where she had the words repeatable and scalable frame. So I was like, yeah, that, that looks like a birthday gift I should, I should give myself. I mean, such simple words, such powerful words, so much meaning in there. Is the, like, think about, you know, viability, feasibility, desirability, one thing's missing there is durability. Will people continue to have the problem I'm trying to solve today? If not, why am I doing it? Why am I doing it? And if I do it, if I do it, what's the chance of it being commoditized? You know, to, only two things happen to product. They fail or they get copied. Again, wise words of wisdom. Somebody said, like, damn, <laughs> it just explains so much of life to me. Yeah, he's right. The only two things happen they get copied or they get failed. And they get they fail because durability is a problem. So, repeatability is important to me. Do, do say in the same product right now, how many people have the same problem that I have? And in my head, I think tables. So, this is literally what we are doing. we're we're looking at regions, we're looking at companies, we're looking at customers we spoke to, we're listing out all the 20 problems they have. And it's a spreadsheet of pain. I I, I call call it leading to a pain PowerPoint. That's how much, there's a lot of pain. We We have 600 rows of pain, lots of pain, 600 rows, 20 columns, lots of pain. Any day you want to get depressed, I read that, there is pain. And what that kind of structure gives you is the ability to look at commonality to say, okay, so where is the pain residing? What is it avoiding, helping them avoid? And then you get the first idea of repeatability. So so that's done. Scalability is, if I do this for this person, would it scale to other people in exactly the same way? Example, in a good example, bad examples are, if I build a mobile app, can people use it? Yes, because mobile apps are passe, everybody has it now. But is language a barrier? Yes, it is. So is that a scalability problem? Now, no matter what I do, I must account for localization. I must account for the context of the user. But think about launching the same app in, in anywhere in the world and launching it in, 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 the, in the Arab countries. The whole text is backward, written backward. So good luck thinking about internalization there. So if you, have not, if you, you look at repeatability, to say both the people in those countries have the same problem. But scalability is how far can I go and how far I can get the scale going because the major problem there is durability if they don't have that problem i'm going to be commoditized my margins are going to go low and i'm not going to have the delight customer experience that i have so so bringing what i was thinking customers challenges constraints and competition give you a great start but if you can't solve it repeatably and scalably you don't have a product you have a custom solution you have a hard time maintaining different code bases different versions different ui screens I've been there, and I must say, as a developer, I've said yes, yes, and to the product manager back then doing it, I should have said no, but, and I could have had a better solution to doing this. So I've been on both sides of the equation, not empowered to say no, not empowered to say no to no as a product manager either. So yeah, if it's not repeatable, scalable, and it's an and condition, it's not an or, repeatable and scalable, then it's a product. I see now why some wise words of another smart person that says, 80% 80 percent of the products fail yep I see that I absolutely see that so now my mantra is I don't build products I ship them to me that gives me a new level of uh, sort of tangibility to what I do and if, if one thinks they have nailed it by then they are wrong you have to worry about adoption engagement retention the whole the whole the whole works So bringing it back to the book by Marty Kagan you know inspired if you think a product manager job is nine to five think again. I should have read the book long ago. I should have read the book long ago. I fell into the trap of this amazing title of product manager who sits in the center and the whole world revolves around their bed, sort of massaging my ego of, I am the center of the universe. I should have read that book sooner. It comes at a cost.
0: (laughs) I love it. so I, I wonder when you kind of take a step back to your early days, obviously, one of the things that has become clear to you is you didn't spend as much time with the customer as you would have, uh, as you would recommend to your younger self now, right? That's one of the things. Yeah. Oh, what else would you go back and say, uh, you know, to people who are just starting out in their professions today? Um, you know, what would you, what advice would you give them? And maybe in particular, it'd be interesting to hear your thoughts around uh, product people who are working in the AI space, since that is such an area of expertise for you. Yes, so um,
1: right, AI, very controversial topic. I have to choose my words, what I'm gonna say next. Uh, They're very divisive. So um, AI products are data products. You must have a ability to look at data. You must have the ability to appreciate data and sort of put your feelings and emotions aside and look at data objectively and say, that's what the data is saying so that must be happening but there's a flip side to it for example if, if after the katrina hurricane in, in america you looked at the sales of raincoats and whatnot you saw a spike you'd be like yeah maybe, maybe like people like those kind of supplies and stock them to the hilt but no dummy there was a hurricane so emergency food supplies were needed because i was there so now how do you account for the real world happening in your data analysis in, in the world of AI, you would say it was a black swan event Data was not captured for it. The likelihood or probability of that not happening is so minuscule. You should not use it in your data. And to me, it brings the most important point of yes, look at data, but don't forget to be human. Which also brings to me the point of how much empathy can you derive for your customers? Again, I should have read those books. this the smart books and I would have gotten these insights much earlier. But it is important to me because the more context of the customer you understand, you sort of will understand how much uh, resistance to change they have in, in applying AI and deploying AI and using AI. Uh, so for example, the one work I did uh, in the, in the previous company deploying AI for the MA due diligence process, it clearly meant that, you know, the question I asked myself is why can't everything be just AI? For example, if Amazon was evaluating Whole Foods to be bought or not, only two questions they were was buy or no buy, binary answers, you know, So binary answers, you know, logistic regression model would be useful. And then what going into that is a 10 attorneys, or hundred attorneys reading to hundreds of thousands of documents, reading and reading and synthesizing, analyzing, and finally saying on a scale of zero to 10, we think it's a nine. Hence it's a buy. So the question I ask myself is why wait 600 hours and have 10 attorneys work on it? Why can't I upload all the documents in 10 hours have an answer yes or no? Because Amazon's way of. Um, you know, evaluating companies doesn't change. They will look at how much delight the customers provide. So, if the criteria for evaluating companies is set, no matter what kind of data you have, why can't you automate that process? Clearly, a smart idea. Uh, but did I think about the users who who did that work and how the AI affects them? So, rather than you know, which I think one of the good things I did in life was I didn't go to them and say I'll solve world peace for you. I didn't do that. What I sat down and did is What do you do every day? How do you analyze and synthesize information? What are the jobs to be done? What are the tasks you do? What's your outcome? What do you not like about it? What do you like about what you're doing today? How might we make it better and easier for you? So rather than having a pie in the sky, big vision of, let's predict every M&A deal, even in 10 hours, I sort of used a piecemeal approach of empathizing with the customer, looking at their pains and solving it to them, and then saying, I have now earned the right to play. I want the right to play because I've got yeses from the customers, they're willing, they're willing to adopt trial and even refer it to other people. So hey stakeholders in my company, I want the right to play. Let me play. Give me a million dollars, give me a few people, we'll just go build nice prototypes, we'll go test it and we'll see how it works. Yes, it's going to be hard, but we think we can play. So. So I would say, you know, starts with the customer. I'm not making this up. This is not a cliche. You must must understand the customer's context. If you go about thinking, you know, I'm going to solve a customer's problem even without talking to them, you're wrong. Yes, Steve Jobs happened. Steve Jobs happened. He built the iPod, but then that that's a Black Swan event. That's a very very Black Swan event. So I would say, for, for the you know, in, in British terms, for the rest of us muggles who don't know the the, the art of wizardry let's stick to the customer, let's stick to the empathy, let's map out their tasks on what outcomes they're achieving and look at how AI can help them rather than replace them along. So let's, let's augment, uh, let's help, and then, uh, then look at replacing. And to me, that's, that like, that's about 50, 20 years away.
0: Okay, interesting. And would you say that um, empathy for the user is more important in an AI product than a non-AI product or is it equally important?
1: I mean, even more important because what you're trying to say. So the way I look at it is manufacturing replaces the physical ability of humans. AI replaces the cognitive ability. We 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 I don't think we appreciate how much we as a species have gained the cognitive ability in such a short span of time. If you look at the whole range of species ever living, if you if you go by the definition of a living species and you map out humans versus everything else, humans are as, as black swan as an event there could ever be. There is, if you go back and type out and map out the topology of the species, no freaking way anybody would have predicted one species of monkeys would become so rampant and so phenomenal and, and, and phenomenal in what they do and they, they're going to capture the whole world. So we underestimate how much cognitive ability we've gained in such a short time. And that's also a reason why it's so disruptive to replace it. So, uh, you know, think about it, right? Initially, when you you had people, you know, uh, losing their jobs to manufacturing, there was an uproar. But nowadays, if you lose a limb or a hand, yeah, you can get something prosthetic and get moving. You don't have to go, you know, be Olympic runner. You can be, nobody's stopping you. But if you lose your head, if you lose your ability to think cognitively, you you are going to be replaced by machines and robots who go physically much faster, who are cognitively much faster than what you're doing. So AI, I would say is much more, much, much more uh, empathy is required. Uh, augmentation is the way to go. Replacement is not the way to go because there are much bigger questions to be, to be bothered about. How do you, what do humans do then? We have somehow managed to associate our work life with the importance we give ourselves. You can't really disassociate your self-importance to your work in overnight. It took us such a long time to gain that self-importance over a period of time. You can't expect us to change that. So forget automating and replacing. You have to create mental models of acceptance of are we worthwhile if we don't contribute uh, financially or cognitively? What do we do then? Elon Musk will say, let goes to, let, let's go to Mars right let's call as other planets not a wrong idea you're giving people something to do beyond staying on Earth but that's not happening soon either so yes it's cool and easy to build AI products but if you're not going to have customer empathy you're you're unless you have unless you're like unless you're like Steve Jobs who's going to replace everything overnight I would say AI revolution is going to be much more harder for humanity to uh, to get adjusted to compared to the manufacturing revolution so Yes, customer empathy is required. Yes, customer empathy is required because you're only, you know, you're helping customers do something. You're helping them become efficient. Here, you are becoming, helping them become efficient, but you're also going to replace them. So I'd say empathy is important, but in AI, even more important. And I've had first-hand experience. It's not fun. No fun in trying to tell somebody I'm going to replace you tomorrow. That is no fun at all. My job could be replaced, forget everybody else So I'd say even more, I have even more empathy for for customers and humans as as a whole. And uh, with with AI products, I think it's just more accentuated.
0: Perfect. That's a great answer. Uh, The other area that I wanted to get your thoughts on is the area of diversity and inclusion, right? So there's, in the last year in particular, been a real, I would say kind of groundswelling of recognizing the importance of diversity, inclusivity, how to build inclusive products. And I would imagine but I would love you to confirm or, or comment, that like empathy, um, being aware of DNI uh, challenges and, and uh, conditions is equally more important for an AI product than a non-AI product. True or false?
1: Oh, through uh, yeah. in, in font size 200 and bold and in any font you can imagine. I have actually experienced the the, 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 the bad effects of not having DNI, right? So I have an example for you. So the, the product I built at Microsoft was a facial expression recognition. So basically what it said was, if you wink, I should recognize you winked. If you smile, I should recognize you smile. If you frown, frown, basically whatever that is. So let's, so the question I asked myself is, for whom? For whom should I know that? Well, for humans, all right. How do we look at humans today? We have good old ways of describing humans based on age, ethnicity, and gender. Did I have a better framework? I had a product to ship, shut up. I'll just go with whatever is out there. I can't be deciding for world peace and solving ethics at the same time. I have a product to ship. So I went along shipping that product. And then I realized self-identification what if I decide not to identify as a man? I want to identify somebody else. Do I Should I give users that ability? Should I not give users that ability? Does it matter to me? Because what the camera sees is what the camera will, and uh, the code will understand. Should the AI code be right, be able to self-identify or let self-identification happen? One question. Other question is, how do I model humanity? So 7.8 billion people in the world, right? 200,000 budget, three months of data collection. What should I do? Day one, I just sat and stared at the wall. I just sat and said, like, yeah, right. So how many people data? How much data? What combination of age, ethnicity, gender, what to do? One day, I was so paralyzed, I couldn't think of nothing. Then I looked at what's called the privilege chart, uh, which is published in America. So privilege chart says, and my apologies for Sounding controversial, but this is a thing I didn't make it up. So the privilege chart says it maps religion, ethnicity, and gender and tells people who have how much privilege. So, it turns out if you're a Christian and you're a Caucasian man, you have the highest privilege. If you are a Muslim um, African woman, you have the least privilege. So, why did I ask myself? The question I asked myself was well, who's going to buy my product? Should I build it for the people who buy my product? Or should I build it for the people who all all over in the world? Good question. What is Microsoft's policy? If I had any doubt, what does Microsoft's logo empower every person, every people in the organization to achieve more? So I was shaking my head to say, yeah, I don't think I should even ask the question. Who should I build the product for? Because if I ask that basic question, they'll be thinking about why did we hire this guy. So then I thought, okay, so let's build it for everybody. And then question becomes, how much data? a million faces two million faces what's the ratio 50% men 50% women okay if that was the case how many caucasian how many black how many you know uh, asian women how many all of that one thing that that affected me in my journey was i didn't have enough women on my team number one i didn't have even have enough women of minority in my team the only thing going for me which was told to me later on was that i was a I was an Asian man building the product. So it sort, sort of could speak for the minorities a little bit in the role that I had to, had to work. So the tangible problem was, how do I articulate a woman's face? Men's faces, boring, very boring. Thank God they're boring. Why? Face, beard, mustache, hair, no hair. And the story, very easy. Women's, hair, women's face on the other hand, lipstick, mascara, eyebrows, nose piercing ear piercing glasses curly hair contrasting makeup all that i had no clue i had no clue how hard it is for a camera to pick up all those nuances and the tangible problem was if you were the same person Tiyama, depending on the light surrounding around you we could classify you as any ethnicity any gender no problem you you turn the light on a certain way you're a completely different person, you turn off a certain way, you're a completely different person. So how do we build a product that realizes your reality, is able to reflect that and accurately measure you? And one other interesting I saw was, especially Asian women, given the context of where they are, express themselves differently. For example, Asian women in America who would smile like this and making a big smiley face, depending on where they are in a developing country or underdeveloped country, they would not express themselves as much. So who is smiling? All three women are smiling, but my camera, could my camera detect it? Could my software detect it? Who did I train it on? So all those questions came into the fore and not being a woman did not help. Not having enough women on the team did not help. So you would not believe this. For the next three months, I have stayed the most at my wife's face like I've never stayed before. And she's like, what is wrong with you? Honey, your face is beautiful. Today, let's try a orange mascara, contrast it with black lipstick and have pink and eye shade. Let's do that. It's an experiment we'll run. She indulged me for a royal three days and in the, molest, in the most politest way possible, she said, get out. So that's the challenge for you. If you do not have the world working for you, working with you, how do you build products for the world? How do you build products for the world? Very, very hard. Long story short, had I had a team, had I had people around me physically sitting next to me, I'd have been able to appreciate those challenges much better, save a lot of time and energy going through that. And diversity and inclusion meant, I mean, it tangibly meant something. I spent way more time analyzing. I could have been doing more customer empathy. I could have been documented requirements better. I could have done so many things better. But I spent time on doing this because DNI was not part of my team. What we do, what did we do as a result? I began documenting a product roadmap, which listed out the team's diversity ahead of time. So I I made a practice to list out who the gen, who the ethnicities and genders and age groups are. Do we have a 50-50 ratio? If you're not, can we at least document that and publish it and see it? And even just saying that we're not is, is important because we're acknowledging a thing. We're, we're not, you know, bro beating, we're not, humping our chest and yelling to the world that we are inclusive or not. But the very fact that it's acknowledged means it gets noticed, means it gets measured, means it gets changed. That's very important to me. Microsoft also helped immensely. They are a very ethical company. I'm not saying just because of it. One, right from the time Satya came along, it was a revolutionary change for us. So the product that I built was the first product that built at Microsoft that had to comply with Microsoft's ethics principles, all the nine principles they had again for a product manager it's not something you want to say yes to because it's additional time and the product gets shipped and or delayed but there's a choice between doing the right thing and doing and you know, not doing the right thing it's also because the, the the apple's product had such a high bar what people forget is they had iterated over many many times and they didn't have to deal with dni back then when they first released that product so they had time to fix any issues that along but for us the bar is very, very high going in. So there's no time to fail on anything. So the the principles helped, making it tangible helped. And what what's more important to me was, I got to realize I have some privilege of my own. The fact that I was educated, the fact that I was there shipping the product, the fact that I was a man, there was privilege there that I did not know of. So just being aware of that privilege to say, huh, I am on that map. I am not as right bottom corner as I thought I was. I was likely up to the left. So like, okay, so next time I'm gonna yell and bitch about, I'm having a bad time. I'm just gonna say, you know what, lighten up, little man. You 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 saw the chart. You're not as bottom right as you see. There's a whole world out there that is there. Now what can you do about it? I have not got the chance to do that hidachi yet, because the products we're building are a little more towards geared to the systems, not to the people. But again, once you've done it, it's not is there's no shutting, you know, there's no shutting down, there's no going back. So since then I've volunteered at several organizations. I give talks like this one where I bring out this aspect. I've joined a nonprofit in the UK called V&AI whose job is to educate people about racial bias and the impacts of AI. And again, we don't want to be called activists. We're not telling people what to do. We're just making them aware. Just making you aware that it is happening is information for you to do something with. So again, being aware gets you noticed, gets you noticed, gets measured, gets measured, gets changed. So. Hopefully, through this this great question you asked me and through and through and other my my other areas of work, I'm able to talk about it and explain what we've done and the success we've achieved and then hopefully let other people go along the journey. Because one thing, one big thing I say is, I know you say you talk to startups and other product officers, Microsoft had the money, had the structure of uh, ethics principles. Do startups have that? Do they have the time and the money to do things so detailed? I would behave completely differently. If I was in a startup doing the exact same thing, I wouldn't have the time. I would have half the budget, I would have half the time. I have to ship a product, get it out there, and get to scale. I don't think I'd be that observant and that detailed about what I do. So I'm lucky to have that experience. But again, let's let's ask the question. Thank you for asking the question. But let's talk about it. Let's let's definitely talk about it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, one of the things we'll do when we we publish this uh, episode is we'll definitely publish the privilege chart. And if there's any other materials, uh, Deepak that you think would be good for us to promote with this this step of the send them our way and we'll make sure that we post them.
1: Yeah, and you know, like especially because it was facial. One one more cool thing we did was when so we asked people to fill out a survey to say how well did this thing represent your expression. So if you for example, if you winked. On a scale of one to five, how well did it represent? So standard, you know, user surveys, right? Quantitative feedback. We also asked the question to self-identify. And we let them self-identify by giving them options. So male, female, other, ethnicity, age, and whatnot. The fact that we had the option other was so surprising to some people in some demographics. They, they scratched their heads to say, what do you mean other? Even other exists again sitting in a in a a, a cool comfortable ac environment in paddington you think i mean the whole world would know you have self self you have choices to identify yourself but that's very very disruptive in many places in the world so if we think in our ivory tower stage is coming it has not reached majority of the world it is it is a big deal. one thing second thing is when we build the product we had two choices for example if i uploaded my data you upload your data you could identify as a you know, as an African man, nobody stops you, self-identify. But I have your facial data. I could choose to identify you through your data or through your choices you've made. I could identify as Halle Berry. I love her, she's amazing. But question is, what should we use? The data that's apparent, looking at my face, I'm an Asian man, or the data that's reported. So I'm very proud to say we we chose to use the data that was uh, reported. Not not that's apparent. So we didn't choose to use your identity as we saw it. We chose to use what is there. Despite that, we were able to ship a great product. Again, I'm fortunate to have worked in a great environment that facilitated that, that helped me be that bold. I am not sure what we would have done in other organizations, in startups, in other environments that are not that inclusive. So I think the ability to have a choice, the ability to use that choice in making product decisions is very, very important. But i'd be I'd be very, very happy to see that happening everywhere in the world. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, let's talk about it. So that's definitely one thing. Do you use evident identity or do you use self-reported identity in making you know decisions about the users? That's one one other big thing that I've noticed.
0: Thank you. I'm just uh, I'm actually writing down the term evident identity versus self-reported identity as uh, so I think that'll be something that we should, we should also educate. Okay, well, we have had an amazing conversation. And I would love actually to spend more time on this last topic, because it's uh, one that is near and dear to my heart. But we can't take all of your time. Um, so we're going to end today's show with my very favorite question, which is, um, if there was a museum dedicated to the most important products in the world, what's uh, what products would you say should be in the museum and
1: why? Well, the first product, when I say this, is going to make a lot of my acquaintances and friends smile because it's so deeper to say. And the answer is Excel. I love spreadsheets. I love pivot tables. I love tables. Uh, you know, I don't know what I would have done without tables and the ability to have a three-dimensional uh, view of the world shifting. I love it. Everything to me starts in Excel. To me function is far more important than form and function sits well with spreadsheets i love it to bits i don't think there's any other product that i've used as much as a spreadsheet <laughs> i love it because i want to make it even more better like if i went to 10 numbers in 10 rows why do you have to know the 11th is again a number or not why don't you assume for me it's a number like can you be ai first please you you, you you've you been in so many desktops and people's laptops all over the world could you not use that data to learn and you know i'm i'm an indian why can't i have rupee as a symbol in in making my financial decisions why can't you look at the number format and choose a signal you know choose a currency from me euro you know if you have dots it's a euro if you have if if, if an indian going in if i've told you i'm an indian a rupee symbol so those many things yet to change but yeah most of my idea starts with tables i like You know, A versus B, I like to think like that. It gives me structure in my head and then I can put other ways to visualize. The second product is the Apple iPod. Amazing. I'm a Walkman guy, I listen to music. I have a very diverse taste in music. I'm a Walkman guy, I listen to music all the time. But when the iPod came along, I remember the pitch he made to say, it must fit within a pocket, like a cigarette case. Um, I don't smoke, but it's the most nicest repulsive thing anybody said about smoking. And to me, it was the empathy that Steve uh, Jobs had a point of view to say, if it must, like, you know, like the famous uh, OJ trial, if it, if it doesn't fit, you must acquit. So similarly, if it fits, then it's going to be used. It must fit into a pocket, must go there. So it's able to look at that angle and able to able to create a product like that is very, very unique to me. That product must definitely go in. And the Google search engine. Don't make me think. Keep it simple mine god what a what a product it, can you like i'm thinking myself if i went to my a management and said i'm going to launch a product with one page and with just one blank box in it i can just think my boss swearing at me in numerous languages in numerous ways nobody in the right man would ever Tick of pitching like that, but kudos to them for thinking it. So each time I think there are too many bells and whistles, too many buttons on my product, Google search, Google search, think Google search, keep it simple. Keep it simple. Again, some wise man said it, but it's a totally new aha feeling for it. You realize that every day, So every time I have too many charts, too many things, too many buttons going on. I'm thinking, no, I'm thinking, no. So yeah, there you have it. Excel, iPod and the Google search page. Those, those two, those would be my three, three most favorite products. I, I love. That's uh,
0: fantastic, Deepak. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, it's been wonderful having you on the pod, and um, I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day.
1: Yes. Uh, thank you. Uh, you know, uh, thank you to T R S Dogs who helped her out and you know do the interview. Thanks to my kid who kept quiet and let me record this podcast. I had great <laughs> fun. I had great fun talking to you, Tiama. Again, uh, you know. It's great fun to talk to a person, uh, you know, we have not met, but just to hear you talk and the joy and the energy you bring to the conversation is something to be, something to aspire to. Thank you for having me. I had great fun talking to you. Yeah, d and is is a, is a big topic. AI is a big topic. Hope we get opportunity to speak about that again. But thank you again. I had great fun talking to you today. Thanks for
0: listening to the podcast, guys. Be sure to share the word of product-led growth far and wide and let your colleagues, friends, family, neighbors, and anyone you think who would like to know that there's a kick-ass product podcast on offer from the Product-Led Alliance. If you haven't already, don't forget to sign up to the Slack community and check out all our other great content, upcoming events, and other ways to get involved at productledalliance.com. And let's come back again next time to talk more about the head, the heart of product.